you've been thinking about getting out of the United States, Mikkel Thorup is the man you want to talk to. He's hosting a free online event at expatmoneysummit.com. Some of the confirmed speakers are Dr. Ron Paul, Tom Woods, Tom Luongo, Peter Schiff. He's going to have foreign real estate experts there. This you're not going to want to miss. So head on over and get a free ticket at expatmoneysummit.com. I want to welcome everyone back to the Pete Quinones show. I am pleased to welcome back to the show, Dr. E. Michael Jones. How are you doing, Dr. Jones? Good, Pete. Good to be here. Great day. Great. It's a great day. <laughs> I, there's no, there's no way I could have known when I asked you earlier this week to come on the show and talk about Leo Frank and why Leo Frank is guilty and talk about the formation of the ADL that trending on twitter would be hashtag um what, what, what's the hashtag again? the number one trending on twitter is hashtag ban the adl oh it's so beautiful it's it's uh did you ever think that you would see that in 2023 no, no never in my life did i expect <laughs> to see that uh and uh especially uh after i had been taken off twitter but then i got back on i'm back on now uh, and I knew it was uh, kind of heading in the right direction because I kept getting messages from Twitter, whatever the ADL's uh, San Yassim would uh, uh, launch an attack on me. I'd have this long list of complaints going down. And at the bottom, it would say, uh, we have reviewed the complaints and you have not violated Twitter's rules or the laws of the state of Germany. That's what I've been getting consistently now ever since I got back on. I so, get, I, you know, I, praise, I, yeah. praise the Lord. There's <laughs> God. Here's the, the, the prayers of the poor. <laughs> uh, who that. would have thought that something like this would happen? Yeah. I get those emails all the time. And, um, it, it normally has to do with something, um, when I'm speaking about something related to, um, you know, the Jewish lobby. So yeah, <laughs> always getting reported for something. Um, well, since we are talking about the ADL, um, whenever just recently they had the anniversary of Leo Frank and there's this big push to prove to the world that Leo Frank was innocent. Um, you know, they never really come out and say they say Leo Frank was innocent. They never come out and really say, oh, it was Jim Connolly, that that terrible <laughs> black man. <laughs> who else? But, who else could have done it? There's, all, there's not a lot of options here. So. Why was Leo Frank guilty? Well, why was he guilty? Because he did it. That's why he was guilty. And how do I know he did it? Well, because the, a, uh, a jury found him guilty. And it wasn't just one jury. Seven appeal courts uh, vindicated, upheld the verdict that the jury uh, handed down initially against Leo Frank. And so if you look in, look into the story, um, there was no, there was virtually no consciousness of Jewish existence in the South at that point. The only Jew the South ever knew uh, in nineteen was in nineteen thirteen. We're talking about now uh, was Judah Benjamin, who was the treasurer of the uh, Confederacy. Uh, that was it. Uh, after even after the Civil War, uh, when the so-called uh, carpetbaggers showed up. The carpetbaggers were largely Jewish furnishing merchants who had arrived like a plague of locusts 
to basically take over the economy and uh, create a a usurious economy where the uh, sharecroppers had to borrow money from the Jewish furnishing merchants in order to get the crop going. And then at the end, when the harvest came, they ended up owing more money than they they had at the beginning in, in the spring when they planted the crop. So even that, even that did not really turn uh, turn the the Jewish issue or uh, ignite the Jewish question in the South. Even that, and what did it was the uh, uh, Leo Frank the, and his pencil factory. Uh, so when uh, what what you had here is the the heart of the uh, redemption. Okay, which is basically when the South broke the resistance of the North. The occupying army went back north, and that's when they started erecting all these statues to General Lee that caused problems in places like Charlottesville. Okay, so they had won at that point, and the 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 country was uh, the South was pretty much under the control of, if not the Ku Klux Klan, then certainly people who sympathized with white supremacy. Uh, to use that <laughs> overused term now, and as a result, um, when Leo Frank was arrested. Uh, the lawyers thought, well, we'll pin this whole thing on a black man. Well, let's face it. The jury in a place like this would be naturally predisposed to find a black man guilty uh, because they were all prejudiced against black people at that time. The the Jewish lawyers, the Jews from New York City who used it, started a huge uh, publicity campaign, didn't understand what they were doing. They They didn't know the people they were dealing with. And so they thought that this campaign was going to be uh, successful. All we got to do is throw money around. We got the big. And Leo Frank was sitting in jail, just perfectly confident that he was going to get off because he he knew he had Jewish privilege. Even if the South didn't know that, he knew it. And he knew that he had supporters uh, in in the North, uh, influential people in the North, even at that time. We're talking about 1913 when newspapers were really powerful. Newspapers were powerful. They were the determined what uh, public opinion was at the time. So he goes on trial and the, the lawyers try and pin it on Jim Connolly, as you said. You know, how much how much cocaine went up that nigger's nose uh, before he raped? Uh, this is the type of rhetoric that was being used in the courtroom uh, with people uh, who, you know, probably were disposed to talk that way, but it didn't work. And the people in that jury prided themselves uh, on the fact that it was a jury trial, because at that point uh, in history, a lot of people got lynched down south. And these were people who were respectable people who didn't want to be associated with lynch law. And they took pride in the fact that they had a jury trial. They went out of their way to make sure that it was fair. There was no prejudice against, against Jews at this point in time, at least at the beginning of the trial. And uh, they reached what they considered a fair verdict, and they were immediately demonized by the Jewish press in the New York in New York. And at this point, the public opinion started heading in the opposite direction, largely because of a guy by the name of Tom Watson, who was a kind of firebrand populist, uh, uh, started a newspaper simply to deal with the whole Leo Frank thing. Uh, and was, in a sense, a creature creature of his time and place, uh, which is to say, uh, uh, bigoted, <laughs> I would say. He, he once referred to the Pope as a dago in a dress. I thought that, that's, that's a colorful term to deal with the Pope, but it shows you the kind of mentality there. But the point is that 
given even given that this kind of uh, local mentality, they had this fierce sense that uh, justice had to be served here. You know, it, 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 they didn't have any uh, um, animosity toward Jews. The, the case clearly showed that uh, he was guilty. He was found guilty. And then more importantly, as I said, seven times it was appealed, including the Supreme Court. And every single time uh, the, the case was appealed, the, the verdict was upheld. So it's a clear case, uh, but the Jews are not going to let up on this. So they're coming down. You know, the publicity campaign is building uh, more and more in the North. And what the Jews don't understand is they often bring about the exact opposite of what they intend. And I think this is what happened here. So the man who's the crucial moment now is the governor. Uh, I believe his name was Slayton. The last day in office, he pardons Leo Frank. Now, this sets off a huge reaction. 2,000 men, armed men, march on the uh, governor's mansion, uh, which now has a machine gun. The National Guard is there set up with a machine gun at the governor's, uh, the steps of the governor's mansion, ready to mow down anybody that gets far, uh, gets there. And uh, they want to talk to Slayton. Well, Slayton's not in town anymore. He left in the middle of the night and he ended up in New York of all places. Oh, New York. I wonder why he ended up there. Well, he's treated like, like a, 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 a hero. Uh, a huge hero because uh, New York is a Jewish town and uh, he let the guy off. He pardoned the guy. And so at that point, he becomes a hero in New York City and a total villain down in in, uh, in uh, Georgia where uh, the people hated him. And eventually he would go make a triumphal tour around the world, all across the country, and then sail around the world. And in the meantime, the people uh, of Georgia are outraged and they take the law into their own hands, uh, go uh, some people, take him, uh, drag him out of jail and lynch him. And that is the beginning of the ADL. The, okay. the ADL is a group, is an organization that feels that truth is the opinion of the powerful. That's what New York believes. That's what the New York Times believes. That's what everybody in a position of power believes. It goes back to the debate that Thrasymachus had with Socrates uh, when he said that uh, you know justice is the opinion of the powerful. Truth is the opinion of the powerful. And what you realize is they're going to put all their resources to make that stick, and it didn't stick. It didn't stick with those people. And they've been trying to prove it ever since. <laughs> they won't let up. The ADL has to go down and they have to say, no, we were right all along. And they come to some type of poor, some poor schmuck who's in some state legislature and say, if you don't say that. And so the guy says, OK, he was innocent. If you say so. And they collapse into, uh, under pressure. And uh, they're, they're, the, the ADL is mollified. They're satisfied for a little bit, but no, it's never enough. So now we have to have a mu it's a musical. They just did a musical about Leo Frank being hanged or something. Maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating here. I'm certainly a play on Broadway about Leo Frank and they're not going to let it up. But the problem is what we're seeing now. It's just, it's, I mean, I think we're talking at a historic moment right now because public opinion across the internet, if, if uh, Twitter or whatever X is any indication, has turned against the ADL. Well, praise the Lord, 
because truth is great and it's going to prevail. It shows you that truth is not the opinion of the powerful. Who are these people on Twitter? People like me, some poor schmuck from Indiana who has no power whatsoever when it comes to a big organization, a multi-million dollar organization like the ADL. And yet look which way that the wind is blowing out. Ban the ADL, hashtag ban the ADL is now the number one trending uh, 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 tweet on on uh, X right now. Yeah, it's I think the thing that probably turned my opinion when I started to see clearly about this case was to believe I live in the South. I live in the deep South to believe that the the clan at the time was more in tune and woke to the Jewish question, the JQ, than they were to this black man, Jim Conley, who was just basically stood at the front door and was sort of a security guard uh, to believe that the clan would put together, would say no, would defend the black man just to persecute somebody uh, somebody who's jewish is you you basically have to believe you have to have no understanding of of clan history no understanding of southern culture no understanding of the war of northern aggression and you have no understanding of of southern opinion at the time there was no jewish there was no consciousness of you know of judaism i mean that comes later i mean in the 30s you start getting um right. these polls that are like uh, 80% of Americans polled say they have a distrust of Jewish people. Yeah. And, but that didn't come till much later. There was no thought about that at the time. There, there may have been thought, but there was no, the Klan didn't have a, um, you know, they, when they were having their meetings, they weren't talking about the Jews that were taking over Atlanta. No, it And I think that this is what happened here. It changed the Klan. I mean, basically, we're talking about two different clans now. You're talking about the first clan that was basically to overthrow Reconstruction, which was successful under Nathan Bedford Forrest, okay, and the the veterans of the Civil War. But now, so this is 1913. I think this is the turning point, which is the beginning of the second clan, which is basically anti-immigrant more than it is anti-black. And that's that clan uh, is based in Indiana. Uh, and it's uh, anti-Catholic, uh, anti-immigrant. I suppose the Jews get thrown in there as being immigrants, like uh, from South, Southern Eastern Europe, that type of thing. Uh, this this clan had a completely different orientation. Uh, it was for the uh, limitation of uh, immigrants from uh, from Europe, uh, Southern and Eastern Europe. Uh, the bill that passed, the anti-immigration bill, passed in '24. I think you could make the case that that was an anti-Jewish bill. Uh, given the, But there's always the caveat here. No one can ever say the word Jew. Uh, you know, Joe McCarthy, uh, uh, Joseph Stalin, what do they have in common? It seems they're pretty much opposite ends of the spectrum, political spectrum. The one thing they couldn't do was say the word Jew. And so Stalin would talk about uh, rootless cosmopolitans in the way that uh, Tucker Carlson and Colonel McGregor talk about neocons mm -hmm. uh, and, and Joe McCarthy could talk about communists, but he had Roy Cohn at his side uh, to ensure that he would never talk about uh, talk about Jews. So what happened over this time is that uh, they overplayed their hand. 
uh, with the Leo Frank case. And then you have the whole Bolshevik story, the Russian Revolution of 1917, and the fact that every Jew in America just loves Bolshevism. And you've got this, now you've got a movement in the United States of America that is talking about overthrowing the government. And then that movement really gets wind in its sails during the 1930s with the uh, uh, the crisis, the economic crisis. And, and, then, and then they go back now uh, to South, the Jewish lawyers go back South and they defend the uh, Scottsboro boys. It's a communist operation defending the Scottsboro Boys. And once that happens, it's clear that we got Jews and communists working to basically overthrow the social order in, in the South. And I think that that changes everybody's mind. So, But I think that Leo Frank was, was a turning point because Jew was simply not part of the vocabulary up until that time. It didn't exist. Even, I'm saying even the furnishing merchants, like the Solomon Brothers, it never never gained traction until Leo Frank. Yeah. The uh when you look at the fact that like today, I remember even um D Douglas MacArthur said in an interview recently, I can't remember if it was if it was with Tucker or if it was on some it may have been on Patrick Bed David's podcast that he believes that these the people who are pushing the Ukraine war have basically he said blood grudges you know centuries old blood grudges against the russians for things that may have been done to their family no and i think yeah, i remember it was said the neocons have a grudge okay. against russia well wait a minute what's that mean so <laughs> i tweet i tweeted something like the neocons have an ancestral hatred of russia where they were known as neokonskis what does that mean? What are you talking about? Why can't we say the word here? Because this it's like, it's like a constant discussion of the Ukraine war. And every time they should say Jew, they're saying neocon. Anthony Blinken is not a neocon. Ne this is a category mistake that people make because they're afraid to say the word Jew. Ne Anthony Blinken is a liberal. The liberals are now worse than the neocons were. It, it meant something when you're talking about Paul Wolfowitz in the 1990s and uh, uh, George W. Bush's administration. It doesn't. This is the opposite of that. These are Democrats. What what happened over this period of time is also a kind of seismic shift at the ADL when Jonathan Greenblatt took over, and it became basically an adjunct of the Democratic Party. Or you might say the Democratic Party became an adjunct of the ADL, which is probably more accurate, given the fact that there is this picture uh, of 457 Jews who are now uh, members of the Biden administration. So you put put that together with a, a man, a president who is obviously incompetent. And what you have is basically Jews running the country. Well, a... Um... A friend of mine posted on Twitter, He, um, as soon as Elon Musk, and he tagged Elon Musk, took over Twitter, the ADL got to work ensuring his promise of a spe free speech site would not come to fruition. They even warned that Twitter was now on death watch. Why do these people get to threaten and extort social media companies like this? And Elon Musk re responded, this was at, this was two hours, um, two hours and 50 minutes ago. He responded, ADL has tried very hard to strangle X Twitter.
Yeah. Yeah. No, the, I mean, the question is not why does the ADL do this? The question is why would someone in charge of a, a, a platform, a media platform, go along with it? Because it means that you're destroying the very reason that you exist. So the question is more, uh, why did Jack Dorsey go along with it? Uh, and we don't hear much about Jack Dorsey anymore. He's the guy who created Twitter right. because he got uh, bought out and obliterated before uh, because uh, at a certain point, like when I was first on Twitter, anytime you said the word Jew, you were off. <laughs> that was it. You cannot say that word. It's the most important word in our political vocabulary in the United States at this moment in time. And you cannot say it. And you expect that you're going to have a, a, a great a social media platform when you're throttling the the discussion, the most important discussion that needs to take place, that's not going to work. And well, I it's think also, it, it, it's also the most important word in the theology of the Bible of whether, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a, a Muslim or whether you're a Jew, it's, it, you cannot, that word has to be able to be used when you're reading all of scripture, because that's where the story begins and that's where the story turns. That's right. That's right. So the classic example would be the, the gospel of St. John, which uses the word Jew 71 times, 70 times of which are pejorative. There is no question that Jew is a pejorative term, uh, which is why I would be reluctant to say that uh, like Jesus Christ is a Jew, or to say that Jews are the children of Moses, because that's the contest that they had in, in the Gospel of St. John. You can make the the Jew, the term Jew, or, or before it was, you said Hebrew, you said uh, children of God, and so on and so forth. But by the time of the New Testament, Jew is a pejorative term. There's no question about it. And Jew has a definite meaning at this point, and it means uh, uh, one of the uh, ch uh, children of Moses or one of the Hebrews who rejected Jesus Christ, one of that group that rejected Jesus Christ. And so what happened at that moment in time is, yeah, there was a discontinuity uh, because basically uh, you came down to a battle between the Jews who accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Jews who killed him. And that became a battle over Logos because Christ is the Logos incarnate and Logos is the order of human history. So it basically became the, 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 the crucial battle in human history is the forces of Logos versus the forces of anti-Logos. And from that time, if you're in rebellion against Logos, you're a revolutionary. And from that time, the Jews have been revolutionaries. That's what the thesis of my book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Uh, the, the, the ADL has yet to contest the thesis of my book. They're too, they're too busy putting words in my mouth which they just did, and, and it blew up in their face when they tried to say that uh, Jones is a racist. He said uh, 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 anti-Semitism is uh, biological determinism. I said, this is the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm not an anti-Semite. I may be construed as anti-Jewish because I think the Gospels and Christianity is anti-Jewish, but I am not an anti-Semite. And they fell right into that trap. Then they had to apologize. They had to back down. And at that point, I think something broke. Because either, either you're going to call me a racist, which is false, or you're going to say my critique is based on religion, which is true. 
But if my if my understanding of the Jews is based on things like the Gospel of St. John, I'm not going to back down. And, and in a sense, I have a right to have that, hold that belief. And there's not a damn thing the Jews can do about it. First of all, even if they had total totalitarian control over the government and would take people out and shoot them if they said uh, that uh, they believed in the gospel, I would have an obligation as a Christian to go out and be shot rather than deny the gospel. So you're not going to win that way. You know, you're not going to win on that front, and you can't win on the racial front because it's not true, and that's not what Catholics believe. And so you lost. Uh, maybe this is, maybe this is, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum. This is the story of God's control of history. Everything is related to everything else. And maybe what happened here is when that broke, suddenly this we start trending, ban the ADL. I mean, you know, I think this is the way things work. We don't know how ideas spread. In the gospel, it says they talk about the word of God, and it's like a leaven in a loaf. And you put it, you know, go to bed, and it's that big. You come back in the morning, it's that big, and you don't know how it happened. You don't know how that leaven spread through the loaf. And we're talking about the loaf of the, the newosphere or the world of ideas, and we don't know how this thing spreads. But I think it's spreading. And this is the part where I tell you how you can support the show. Head on over to freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash support. There are many ways there that you can support the show. The best way is on that website. If you go right to the store, you can do that annually or monthly. Or you can just send something in the mail. It's P.O. Box 413, Lineville, Alabama, 36266. I always enjoy reading the letters they really mean a lot to me, and I save every single one of them, and I try to respond in some way to each and every one. So I just want to thank everybody for making it possible for me to do this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When you take into consideration John's gospel, and if you believe that um, when they refer to the disciple that Jesus loved the most— um, it it appears to be John, the John who wrote that gospel, would be closest to Jesus. And then you take into consideration what Paul writes about, you know, not all Israel is of Israel. I mean, it just it becomes very clear that the um, a separation was done at at the cross. And basically, when you look in, you you look at the subsequent centuries, you look at the, I mean, the, the Talmud had already been, some of the Talmudic, what would become the written Talmud was already um, verbal at that point. But then the Talmud comes not too long afterwards in historical, in historical time. Um, and, and if the Talmud is basically to figure out how to trick God because you don't want to follow his laws, you have to take into consideration that the what some people are have said since really COVID started that we're in a spiritual war, that there's spiritual warfare. Um, I don't think they understand what they're saying, but it does seem to all come back to what you talk about and and it's logos. And that's that's the key. Yeah. I think I think that I've been trying to tell uh my friends in Europe uh just exactly that, especially people in Ireland, for example, who uh, abandoned the Catholic faith to a large extent. 
Uh, and now they're realizing when you do that, you're not protected anymore. And you are being ruled with an iron rod by people who hate you or want to destroy you. And I think they're waking up to that fact and now heading back uh, to uh, the church they abandoned. But uh, what I'm saying to them, and especially to the Germans, I'm half Irish and half German. So I'm saying it to both of these people, but especially Germany. This is a hopeless situation. If you rule out some type of spiritual uh, dimension to it, if there's a spiritual dimension to it, if you can fall on your knees and ask God for assistance, then all things are possible with God. But if you refuse to accept this, or for some reason you have this secular notion of uh, reality or political reality or a secular notion of what I'm allowed to say in the political sphere or the marketplace of ideas, you're going to lose because you're playing the game according to their rules. And I'm saying it's got to be fought on some type of transcendental battlefield, which means the truth. You have to talk about the truth. You have no you cannot allow people to frighten you into not talking about the truth. No matter how taboo it is, you can't allow them to do that to you because you will lose. You will lose. I, I just, we just, and, and and if you can't name the enemy, this is even older than Christianity, uh, you will lose every battle. That's what the Chinese, Sun Tzu said, the Chinese. And so what you had basically over this period of time let's say from 65 on, was this notion in the Catholic Church that the Jews are our elder brothers and they're our friends. And because we lost the ability to criticize them, uh, they won every battle in the culture wars. Yeah, Beginning yeah. with contraception, abortion, all the way up, homosexuality, transgender, that's just the sexual realm of it. Uh, you had the, all the wars and so on and so forth. Uh, they, you lost. That's a failed strategy, and we have to abandon that failed experiment and get back to basics like uh, the Jews are the people who killed Christ and are enemies of the entire human race. That's the type of basics we have to get back to, and we have to have the courage of the gospel and say, look, I'm allowed to say that word. <laughs> I, 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 I'm allowed to say it because St. John said it 71 times. It's a category of reality, and I can't uh, enter the debate unless I'm allowed to refer to this category of reality, period. When people hear that, when you say something like the Jews are the enemy of mankind, they immediately think that the person who they sit next to at work who um, doesn't go to church and doesn't even vote or doesn't go to temple doesn't even vote and really is just carry you know worried about you know what yeah how fresh the, the the bread is at the local deli that you're talking about them and you know what would you say to that person i would say what saint paul said the jews are the people who killed christ and they are enemies of the entire human race the key term there is the people. This is a political entity you're talking about, and it was the Jewish people who called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean all Jews? Does that mean the Blessed Mother cried out, crucify him? Did St. John cry out, crucify him at the foot of... Obviously not. So when you say the Jews, you have to understand that it's not the same as all Jews. The Jews is a political entity that has a certain leadership. It was called 
the Sanhedrin at that point, it's called major Jewish organizations at this point, and the ADL is one of them. And they mobilize the Jewish people largely out of fear to use them as proxy warriors to advance their agenda. When I started studying um, the Spanish Civil War, just it was in in you know, as part of my background, you know, my dad's side of the family. Um, I couldn't study the Spanish Civil War without going back about until about the 700 AD um, when they were taken over by by Islam when they were conquered by Islam, and um, Islam allowed jews to come into the country and basically have free reign of many cities enslave many christians and what i point to what i try to point to is the fact that when that all stopped when they were able to end that and when when spain was able to have a great empire um that lasted for a few hundred years until inevitably empires fall um it was because they returned they returned to the faith they returned to the church. They demanded that you had to be a Catholic in order to, uh, in order to remain in the country. And they instituted, you know, the most misunderstood and maligned thing in history, the Spanish Inquisition, to meet out who exactly was a Catholic and who wasn't. And it seems like they were blessed for you know a few hundred years because they went back to the church. They went back to God. Yeah, I, I agree. But there's a story that happened before that, and that was basically the uh, surrounding the, the like the disputation of Tortosa, which was at the beginning of the 15th century. You're talking about the end of the 15th century, but the beginning, uh, they the the, uh, the the whoever was in charge at that point um, forced the rabbis to come to a disputation, and the disputation was conducted by former rabbis who had become Christians. And they would ask questions about the Talmud. This was all insider knowledge that no Christian who wasn't a Jew would know about. And they would say things like, well, doesn't it say in the Talmud that Jesus Christ is is buried uh, in burning excrement up to his neck? And the one rabbi says, uh, well, it's not that Jesus. It's another Jesus. And it's one commentator said, this is the beginning of Jewish humor. In other words, they had no answer to the questions that the Catholic Church proposed to them. The rabbis begged them at the end, saying, well, we don't know the answer to these questions. Please let us go home. Please leave us alone. We can't answer these questions. And at that point, they became this leadership cadre became completely discredited in the eyes of the Jews there. And the Jews converted en masse. It was the biggest conversion uh, in the history, certainly in the history of the Jews and the Catholic Church. And the result was, basically, there were no Jews left in Western Europe. They either converted or they went to Poland. And the Vatican was talking about, well, what do we do with all these abandoned synagogues? Should we turn them into churches? Now, that's the good news. The bad news is a lot of Jews simply converted out of convenience because the rabbis allowed that. This is not like Christianity. If if you're you have to die before you will deny the faith, and if, if it means death, you go straight to heaven, and that's that. The Jew has no assurance whatsoever. He doesn't ultimately doesn't believe there's any salvific efficacy in this religion that they have, which has more of an ethnic purpose than anything else, and so he will not risk his life uh, to stand by his faith. And the Jews did not do that. So there were lots of false conversions. 
At this point, those Jews continued the life that they had been leading. Before that, we still had the same problems. And the leadership in, in Spain at that point said, look, we got to resolve this issue one way or the other. Let's call in the Inquisition. They tried to do that. That that was uh, one of the great uh, additions to the black legend uh, that was used to beat the church for centuries after that. When that failed, they just threw up their hands and said, we're just expelling the Jews. And at that point, they created another problem. That was someone else's problem now. So they went to Turkey and they went to Holland. And in Holland, they created capitalism. And in Turkey, they existed all the way up to, to the Donme, which is the word for converso, uh, the per- Turkish word for converso, caused problems all the way up to the uh, to Ataturk and the uh, the First World War. So their problem was already there, but Spain at this point was freed from that internal problem and allowed it to was allowed to project its empire outward, and you know served God's purpose by bringing Christianity to to places like Mexico and Peru and South America. Yeah, the uh, people like Pizarro just they get glossed over in history as not as more conquerors in a negative sense rather than as civilizers as bringing civilization to these people yeah i said there was a there's a monument to a hispanic culture in uh in buenos aires when i was there i was taken to it and it's uh both the conquistador and the franciscan there were two the two pillars of spanish culture hispanic culture in south america uh that their their hands were cut off because the the masons are waging war against the catholic church and in in uh, Argentina, but you had to have both components, and I think the best example for that was was Mexico, where you had an absolutely tyrannical state under the Aztecs that was based on human sacrifice, and it was so wicked that only military force could remove it, and that was one of the greatest stories in human history, the confrontation between Cortez and the Aztecs just an incredible story. Uh, and then there was a still moment after that where nothing happened. And then Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared and there's mass conversion. And then you have the creation of the cosmic race, which is the marriage of the Indi- uh, the native uh, population with the Spanish population and the creation of the Mestiza. Uh, and that that goes that was a, a great moment in human history. Of course, it got destroyed later on by the Freemasons, but it, you can't deny that that was the basis of this uh, American culture. And also, the fact of the matter was that the, the, you couldn't have done this without military force. Uh, there's some regimes that are so wicked that only military force can drive them out. I'm beginning to think that this is the case in Germany right now, to be perfectly honest with you. That regime is so out of touch with reality. It is so uh, determined to subjugate the German people to a completely irrational ideology. And the German people are so intimidated by it that I I don't see, I I, I think maybe they should pray for the Russians to come in and liberate them. They did it. They liberated them from the Nazis in 45. The Russians liberated, if that's the word, France. After, as punishment for the French Revolution, sometimes this is the only thing that works. Well, considering our culture here uh, is a culture of usury, is a culture of sodomy, 
is a culture of pornography is a, a culture of basically every every debauched every co combination of intellectualism rationalism and subjectivism uh, that you can think of i mean it, it seems to me there's really only one answer that fixes this and it's a return to faith <laughs> it just there's no there is a, a return to the church there is I, You're I right. can't see anything else. We're, we're I mean, too far gone. We need a spiritual. We are, they have total power and we are just weak. Uh, uh, but uh, we, if you appeal to God, God's stronger than any army or any whatever powerful uh, group you have out there. This was, I, I just, I finished uh, the uh, Holocaust narrative. This the latest book. It's We're expecting it from the printer soon. Uh, the last chapter is on Christos and Dachau, which is the story of, uh, Father Lentz, an Austrian priest in Dachau, which was the paradigmatic concentration camp at that point. And he said exactly that. I mean, they they were subjected to brutal, sadistic SS guards who had just been basically taken out of prisons. They emptied the prisons, put SS uniforms on them. And these people hated the moral law. They hated God and they hated Catholic priests. And so they were torturing them. And he said, Lentz said, there were all these priests there and all we could do was pray. We had no power. And at that point, he said, "If it, it's like August of 1942. If we'd gone one more month, we all would have died. But God heard their prayer on the Feast of the Assumption, August 15th. And the word came down from Berlin that you can't treat these people this way. You got to give them, allow them to get food packages from outside. You have to allow them to have religious services. And so they had a chapel in Dachau. This was the paradigmatic camp, concentration camp, after World War II. Dachau was created in 1933, right as soon as Hitler came to power, and the main inmates were Catholics. That's what it was created for, because they were the main opposition to the Nazi regime at that point. Okay? That narrative got hijacked by the Jews. And the man who did it was Elie Wiesel, and he did it in collaboration with a French Catholic by the name of Francois Moyac who translated his Yiddish, garbled, hate-filled uh, memoir into elegant French, and the book was called Nuit, uh, Night, came out, La Nuit, it became translated into English as Night, and that was the new narrative. The first narrative, the Catholic narrative, is God hears your prayers. This is a punishment for atheism. God is in control when he, you have expiated this sin, uh, you will be returned to the way it was before, which is exactly what happened to him. What's Ailey Wiesel say? God died at Auschwitz. So now the whole story has been hijacked. Now there's a new meaning put on it. It is uh, atheism. And now uh, you're going to be eternally uh, guilty for what you, uh, namely Catholics, did uh, to the Jews. That is all tied up with what we're dealing with today. Jonathan Greenblatt couldn't have the power that he has without the Holocaust narrative behind him. And it's it's the brick hit over everyone's head. I mean, you you have politics. It, it seems like more and more American, Canadian, Western European politicians, if they want to get something done, 
um, they will stand up and the first thing out of their mouth in a speech would be, I have relatives that died in the Holocaust. And considering the Holocaust is basically replaced the crucifix is a version of the crucifixion um with six million jesus's and you know the, the the gas chamber is replacing the cross um people bow down to this now right they bow down to the secular religion so so we have to deal with this on a re- as as a religious issue because what you have with the holocaust is the impos- we have a state religion now and, and why do i say it's a state religion well ha- who funds the holocaust museum does, has the state paid for any Catholic church uh, in the United States of America? If even the idea were broached, you'd say, oh, no, that's a violation of the separation of church and state. But yet uh, they will pay for Holocaust museums. Well, well, no, that's different. No, it's not different because we just had, thank God for NPR. You know, you would think that I'm behind NPR because they're always doing these stories that make Jews look really bad, you know. So this time they did it on, this is a chaplain. This is an NPR story that came out just a, about a month ago. Chaplain, she's a Jewish chaplain, and she's an atheist. Well, how isn't that nice? An atheist chaplain. So, uh, uh, well, wait a minute. So, do you know? Oh, no, I have a religion. She says, and this is what, literally what she says. My religion is the Holocaust. Well, wait a minute. Now, if that's your religion, then how can we have government building Holocaust museums all over the place? Because that violates the separation of church and state. Okay. It violates uh, all our my religious freedom, okay. And secondly, how how can you impose your religion on me? If you look at it from a religious perspective, it becomes perfectly clear, and that's their perspective. I didn't make that up. Go to NPR. It's a, it's a Jewish operation interviewing a Jew who says the Holocaust is my religion. You know, am I an anti-Semite because I'm listening to NPR and quoting NPR? This is the bind that people like uh, Greenblatt have, they they put themselves in. Greenblatt painted himself into that corner. And now he's stuck there. And now the tide is turning. And we got the number one uh, trend on Twitter, ban the ADL, which is just the, uh, the, the beginning. It's only the beginning. And so if I were a Jew, I would uh, be ready to throw Jonathan Greenblatt under the bus right now, as soon as possible, because the longer this goes on, the more the anger is going to build and it's going to be spread out against all Jews. All Jews are going to be associated with the ADL because the ADL speaks in the name of all Jews, whether they like it or not. And they're going to have to separate themselves. And this is something they are constitutionally incapable of doing. That's the problem. That's the problem. I went through this with in, in uh, St. Louis with the battle over the statue. So it's supposed to be a Muslim uh, running the show. He's not really a Muslim or whatever. And it's supposed to be what Muslim versus white supremacists. Now, uh, the white supremacists are praying the rosary. So it turns out they're Catholics. And the Muslim is basically a, a shill, a pawn of a rabbi, Rabbi Susan, who runs the most liberal synagogue in St. Louis. So, OK, so it, it turns out it is a Catholic Jewish battle, like so many of the disguised things. And so in the middle of this, my my friend from St. Louis gets a phone call, Jewish friend. 
This Rabbi Susan is an abomination. No Jew in his right mind could ever follow this lady, blah, blah, blah. So he calls me and tells me this. I said, well, you get back to him and you say, all right, this is, we're going to issue a statement. Jews and Catholics together, citizens of St. Louis, as citizens of St. Louis, we repudiate Susan Salva's attempt to tear down the, Talva's attempt to tear down the statue. Well, at that point, the Jew backs away. Well, there you, there you see, there, there's the problem. Okay, if you're going to back away, well, then you're going to be associated with these revolutionaries, this lady rabbi revolutionary who wants to tear down the statue. You're not willing to be a citizen. This is the crucial issue. What we've seen with the Biden administration is Jews cannot be appointed to any public office. Ask uh, Josh Hawley about Merrick Garland. Can Merrick Garland enforce the laws of the United States of America as attorney general? No. The answer is no. If it's a Jew who commits the crime, he gets off the hook. If it's a Catholic who is against abortion, he gets prosecuted. That's what happens when you allow a Jew to have public office. And we have to draw the consequences from what we obviously know and what the Biden administration has made crystal clear to everyone in the United States. It's interesting that when you bring this up to people, uh, they immediately uh, start to um, balk and they'll say, well, you know, it's not it's not all Jews. Well, considering how much damage like the ADL and other groups, I mean, it is clear. I've I've heard Jewish people talk about the fact of, you know, they basically started pornography. They all of these culturally damaging things um, they've done, you would think that there would be some Jewish groups, some Jews that would get together, form a group that would be against the ADL to push back. But no, you don't see this. And when you don't see that, what you're going to have is you're going to have people who are going to go, it's all Jews. Because you're not get the, the pushback is few and far between. You know, they're, they're you know, I, I mean, I can think of the top of my hand, people, Paul Gottfried, Ron Unz, you know, people sure, like it's, that. It's not all Jews, but we. what about a Jewish organization? When is a Jewish organization going to come out and say, uh, we're, the, the ADL does not speak for Jews? When's that going to happen? Yeah, it's it doesn't happen. It, they just had this, um, uh, this woman who was fired from Ohio Right to Life because she said that um, you know, th there's no salvation. She said something like there's no salvation other through than through Jesus Christ. She tweeted that and she got pressured by a Jewish con a, a Jewish congressman in Ohio whose wife just happened to be on the board of Right to Life, Ohio Right to Life. And she got fired from Ohio Right to Life because she said on Twitter that Christ is the only way. This is a clear violation of the First Amendment because the government did it. He's a government official intimidating someone because of religion. This has lawsuit written all over it. I hope she gets a lot of money from that jerk. But the other the other side of the coin is, well, what's a Jew doing on uh, Board of Right to Life? Wait a minute. Stop. 400 Jewish organizations have said abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. So why would you put a Jew on the Right to Life uh, board? Well, is it to take over? A gatekeeper? In other words, she's the one who fired this lady. Mm -hmm. So in other words, she's the one who's going to impose Jewish values on a right-to-life organization, which is like, you know, well, that's a conflict of interest, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
Is it? <laughs> Catholics against Catholicism. <laughs> that's, what, that's basically what it would be. <laughs> so so this is now we're fortunate enough to have these this discussion coming out. And now uh, they're going to have to make some. Are you going to go down with the ship? Do you want to die? I'm, I'm addressing Jews now. Do you want to, are you ready to die on the hill known as the ADL? Are you ready to do that? Yeah. Are you ready to go down with that ship? Because I think that, I don't care how much money they have in the bank account. I think that ship is going down. Are you going to go down with the ship? Because whenever I pose it to, to, when I ever have a discussion with a Jew, about this thing, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, I don't agree with the ADL. They're, they're not real Jews, whatever. Well, that's not the way they see it. And what's going to happen is there's going to be, if you're, if you're, go if you're going to not contest the ADL when they say we speak for all Jews, they're all going to go down with the ship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's become clear. My friend Scott Howard wrote a book showing that this the whole transgender movement, you know, who's where's the money behind it? Where's the I mean, it's once this start stuff starts coming out and people start to see it and people's eye people's eyes open. I mean, just the fact that like that much is happening on Twitter with this ban the ADL hashtag. I mean, the people are waking up and a lot of people will say, you know, how come people didn't demand change because of COVID? How come people didn't demand change because of the 2012, the 2020 election? But if you if it starts coming out that like one group of people, if 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 the masses start seeing and start interpreting that it's one group of people that are responsible for all the pro for all the problems that are happening. History doesn't look good for, no. for and what, what happens. And what is what is the sine qua non, the conditio sine qua non for that happening? It is the ability to say the word Jew. Because if you can't say that, you cannot make the connections. And if you cannot make the connections, you can't see the way this thing works. We just had a, 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 a big crisis. It's a national crisis now. And it's the library crisis. I don't know whether you've been following this, but basically uh, the... American Library Association is a totally subversive organization, and everybody's waking up to that fact, including state legislators. Like Missouri has now cut off all funds to the American Library Association. Okay, South Bend, Indiana is involved in, in this as well, because it was basically the local library was taken over by sexual revolutionaries at the time of Pete Buttigieg our homosexual mayor. He allowed that takeover. It was happening before that, but he catalyzed the whole situation in South Bend. And so you have this, you know, Republican lady, uh, so on the county council, she goes to uh, the meeting and she's just, you know, they just, they just mow her down. They got the machine gun. She's got the spear. They just mow her down. She went left uh, demoralized uh, because of the reaction. Well, because, Honey, you showed up with a knife and it was a gunfight. And and they, if you uh, accept their terms for the argument, you're going to lose. And that's precisely what happened because you couldn't identify what was going on. So what, 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 what was going on? Well, you ever heard of Drag Queen Story Hour? 
of course. It was a lesbian from San Francisco who created it. And she's, it sounds like Catholic background. She's got a Polish father's name. But who jumped in to support it? Two Jewish foundations started pumping money into this thing. If you're without money, nobody's going to know about this. And then you've got the American Library Association, which was taken over by the Jews beginning in 1970, which is the same time the Jews took over the American Psychological Association when they removed homosexuality from the DSM. Okay, and you put these pieces together and suddenly you can see uh, what's going on. It's a Catholic Jewish battle in a town that is predominantly Catholic here. And they've been completely uh, uh, routed from their own library. You have people now who consider that they have a right to undermine the sexual morality of other people's children. They have a right to do this. How did that happen? Well, if there's a, I said there's a word that will allow you into understanding how this happened, you know, how we had uh, uh, the Jewish religion imposed on us, even though it's not our religion. But until you start putting the pieces together, you're not going to know that. And there's only one word that allows you to put the pieces together, and that's the word Jew. And that's why you're not allowed to say it. Well, I know that you have to um, do your own show in a little bit, so I'll break off here. Tell everybody where they can find your books and your new book. Yes, uh, go to uh, fidelitypress.org. Uh, the announcement will be out soon. Uh, and culturewars.com, both of them will have all the books available. You cannot go to Amazon. You cannot do that because they banned me. The, the people we're talking about have banned me from Amazon. Uh, and so if you want to find out where these books are, it's fidelitypress.org or culturewars.com. They're both available. Uh, all of the books are available at those sites. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your work. Thank you very much, Dr. Jones. Thank you, Peter. Good talking to you. 